follow me on social media, you have probably seen me post about my superfood probiotic shots that I take every single morning. I've been using these biome supplements for the past year and I absolutely love them. Biome is your one-stop shop for supplements that support overall wellness by helping you optimize your gut health. I love taking these superfood probiotic shots to start my day because not only have I noticed a big improvement in my health, they also taste delicious. Head over to biomehealth.com. That's B-I-O-H-M health.com and use my code Hannah for 20% off your order. I'll link it in the description below. Hello, everybody. Happy Friday. I'm so glad you're here. I'm so excited for today's episode, you guys. Okay. First of all, let me just say, Dr. Crystal Collier is here with us today. She is amazing. I recently met her at a conference and could not wait to hear what she had to say when I asked if she would be on the show. We actually recorded this interview already, but we had some technical difficulties. So we're here again. And I was just telling her, I feel so lucky to be able to hear all of this again. And I hope you guys are just as obsessed as I am. So we're going to be talking about all things, the brain, mind, neuroscience, and everything today. So would you give us a little introduction to who you are, Dr. Collier, and what got you into the world of neuroscience? Oh, absolutely. And I really am so happy to be here with you again. <laughs> yeah. I love your podcast and I really feel honored that you asked me. So thank you very much for, for doing that. Uh, so uh, my name is Dr. Crystal Collier. I, uh, I have um, a PhD in counselor education. My master's is in clinical psychology. I'm a therapist uh, by trade, but I also do a lot of education because I have studied the, the neuroscience of risky behavior. And so um, I, it really, for me, began when I was engaging in risky behavior. So at about age 12, I took my first drink of alcohol. By the time I was 16, I had uh, used needles uh, uh, with illicit substances. And then when I was 18, I had a pretty bad overdose and survived it by the grace of God and uh, picked up the thousand pound phone and called my mom and asked for some help. And she helped me get into a rehab. So I uh, graduated from uh, a rehab when I was 18 and I've been sober since February 3rd, 89. But when I got into recovery, there was just so much shame that I had that was, it's like a, a big wet blanket walking around all day. And I, I just, I didn't know what to do with that. I was in therapy, but when I got back into college, I started studying everything I could get my hands on really and all these really cool brain studies were being published. So it was like this perfect kind of storm of all this information was being published. And I was just voraciously reading about how the brain gets trapped and stuck by addiction. And that's when I learned that it really shuts off our frontal lobe, the part of our brain that connects with other people, that makes good decisions, that has uh, the ability to judge a situation for good and bad. And so when I learned that drugs and alcohol shut off that kind, that part of my brain, it really helped take a lot of shame and guilt off. Like, oh, I get that I wasn't making good decisions because A, my brain wasn't grown and developed yet, and B, it was off. Mm. My responsibility is to keep it on and growing and connecting to other people, places, things that will maintain a healthy lifestyle. So that is my story. It resulted in me writing a book called The Neuro Whereabouts Guide, which is a really cool infographically designed book that teaches parents how to protect their kids 
from risky behavior, like all the best kind of parenting tools. As you can see, I try to write it in a way that would be really uh, pleasing to the eye, easy to read, um, lots of fun pictures of the brain and, and, and different formulas and checklists and graphs. I researched 18 different high-risk behavior and how they affect the brain. So you'll see a graph for each one of those in the different chapters, depending upon mm. the age of your child. So uh, I really enjoyed writing this and, and getting to uh, teach it to other parents and uh, people in recovery, too, who want to learn about this. And then I'm currently working on a, a, a project of making a video for every topic in here, and schools are using it. I do prevention at about 30 schools here in Houston, and uh, I can't get to as many in person. And so that's why I'm creating a really cool video series to make sure that everybody gets the information. Okay, so that's a little bit about me. <laughs> doing. <laughs> wow, it's amazing. It's very cool because not only do you have the expertise and knowledge, but you have your own experience as well. And you have just learned so much, I'm sure, in your journey and the kids and the parents even that you help now. And so would you give us the crash course? What do you wish women knew about their brains or their kids' brains? So, oh, okay. It's all about dendrites. And so my favorite brain structure is, uh, and I've got my uh, my trusty helper here to explain this. <laughs> I love it. So, I know. I, I have all kinds of toys in my office, but so this is a neuron. This is a brain cell. And uh, you've got these things at the end that are called dendrites. And they're, they're really connectors. They grow based upon what you're using. So if you use cells for empathy, you're going to grow dendrites that reach out to other cells, making these long networks for being empathic. If you use your brain for problem solving and decision making, you'll grow long networks of these. And so when, when I think about, you know, what one of the best things you can do is, especially as a woman, is think about your self-talk. Mm. And what are the things that your brain says to you on a daily basis? So I, I did this exercise at a third and fourth grade presentation that I did here in Houston. So I was meeting with third and fourth graders over two periods, two, two days. And I, I asked them like, what's your self-talk? And we wrote it down. Things like, you're a loser, mm. that I'll never get it. I'm ugly, uh, you know, uh, uh, she's an idiot. You know, it, it doesn't have to be all about ourselves. It can be about other people too. But it surprised me how young it starts. Wow. Third grade. That's really young. So, yeah. okay, if the brain's rule is use it or lose it, if we grow long networks of cells for what we're using our brain for, if you say to yourself a hundred times in a year that you're a loser, you're going to literally grow networks for thinking that you're a loser feeling like that. And then how will your behavior correspond to that network? You may wow. give up too easily. You may not put in as much effort. You may not even try because you don't think that you can. Hmm. So for, especially for women, because, you know, we get messages when we compare ourselves to the world or because of what happened in our family of origin, that we're not good enough or that women are only valuable if we're pretty mm. or if we are sexual 
then we get these messages from our world and they become our own messages. We create these networks that have that thought. And so really, what is a core belief? A core belief is a thought that you've had over and over and over again and grown a network for. Then it becomes a core belief mm. that is almost like a pair of glasses that you see the whole entire world with. So if, uh, for instance, you know, my negative core belief was that I'm not good enough and that I had to be perfect in order to get love. And so that created this intense drive inside of me to work on, okay, how do I prove to you that I'm good enough? Mm -hmm. I remember I would sit at the very front row in all my college classes, and then I wouldn't get to know people very well. So I, I, <laughs> I had difficulty like making friends because I was always like, oh, no, 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 I got to get an A, got to get an A. I'm not going to be able to please my mother or please anybody else unless I'm doing this. And mm -hmm. I have to say, sometimes it still shows up. Like I'll meet somebody new and they'll ask me, like you just did, like, tell us about yourself. And I start listing all of my accomplishments. Well, here's my book and here's this and here's that. because that old network is still in there. Even though I've practiced saying the opposite, which is, Crystal, you're perfect because you make mistakes. Go make more mistakes and be less perfect. But I still find myself giving you my whole curricula vitae mm -hmm. so that you will think I'm worthy and maybe like me, <laughs> which usually has the opposite effect, right? People are like, oh, <laughs> she's kind of braggy or like, what? She's so driven. I can't compare. I'm not going to be her friend. I, mm. I get that, you know, that reaction. And so I have to really remember that I am good enough just the way I am. Mm. Wow. There's so much to that. <laughs> I just feel like, number one, why is this something we're not taught? Because it's third grade, starting in third grade, third grade, that blows my mind. And it's, it's just so real. Like I, I was there too. I mean, as a second grader is when I noticed that I started having those negative thoughts about myself that I have seen patterns in all like 20 plus years since then. And so what would, how, what do we do with that? Like, how do we rewire and start growing the right neural networks in our brains? Well, so it's always important. That's why I love studying neuroscience because so many people go to therapy or they go to a good retreat or they read a good self-help book and they're like, oh, this is amazing. And they even have an epiphany about themselves only to experience disillusionment like a month or two later when they find themselves doing the same pattern that doesn't serve mm. them very well. So what I like to do with people is I do something called foo mapping, family of origin mapping, and I map your button. And so... <laughs> Here's my button. Uh, when I was doing therapy, I started kind of seeing these on people, you know, in different areas of their bodies, because, you know, like we, we hold our, our bodies in certain ways and literally it's just energy that gets stored somewhere. And, and, um, uh, I, I think that, you know, these buttons are connected to our thinking, feeling, and behavior patterns that are rooted in wounding events from when we were little. And mm -hmm. so, for me, here, the, here's what my button sounds like. I'm not good enough. I have to be perfect. I feel shame and guilt when I make mistakes. Ugh. So mm. that button is literally on my chest. But of course, you can't see it, right? Nobody can see it. But man, when I make a mistake or somebody gets mad at me or criticizes me, whoo, 
this button is pushed and I regress all the way back to about age eight when I started really internalizing my mother's criticism, mm-hmm. which seemed like it was nonstop. And so the behavior that I started to develop was this idea that I had to be perfect. So I stopped talking about anything that didn't make me feel perfect, kept a lot of that stuff in. We moved a lot. So I had a lot of uh, emotional turmoil, but I didn't want to share that with my mom because she was busy trying to figure out what a great life that she was going to have look like, you know, and, and, and take care of me the best she could. Mm -hmm. And so I, but then of course, when I found drugs and alcohol, uh like that took away all those (laughs) negative feelings. So then I, I, I kept strengthening this network in my brain, right? So this got implanted around eight, more and more dendrites grew that strengthened the network. And then as an adult, when I get into recovery, I'm thinking, okay, I can't, I have to change this network, but how do I do that? Which is Mm. back to your question is how do we do that? And, and, and I love the analogy of, of, you know, buildings. So if you think about a building, they put in rebar and then they pour concrete and mm-hmm. then they, you know, the, every floor has this. If you think about the rebar are these networks, these networks of cells. And then of course, life is the concrete and it solidifies it. And then we have more and more and more networks that are built floors, right? But then as an adult, if your initial uh, a foundation is is not healthy, it's cracked, it's uneven, then all of your other developmental stages are going to have issues and problems hmm. and patterns that don't serve us. So we have to kind of like get in there and jackhammer all those floors up and really analyze, okay, what are my negative thought processes? What are the feelings that trigger this button? And what are the negative patterns that don't serve me? Then you connect them to the family of origin, religion of origin, society of origin, or culture of origin wounds that really anchored this. And then you create new thinking, feeling, and behavior patterns. So affirmations are one of the best ways to create new thought patterns. And it sounds so silly. People are like, oh, I don't want to say a goofy affirmation all the time. But ironically, if you think of all the negative all the times that you said that negative thing to yourself, you have to say the opposite positive thing more. Wow. So here's my positive. You are perfect because you make mistakes. I say that so much now that I can feel my whole central nervous system start to calm down. So Mm. once you've mapped your button and you get it, The next step is to just raise awareness of when it gets pushed. So that I'll have times when I'll say to my husband, okay, my food button's pushed. I got to stop. I got (sighs) calm down. Crystal, you're okay. You're perfect because you make mistakes. What's happening for you? What age do I feel? Ah, I feel really, really young. Or I feel like I'm in my angry teenager. What energy is coming up? And then I unpush the button, move back into my adult self, and I have more tools that are relational and appropriate to use Mm. as an adult. That's so good. Long, short answer. Sorry. Long, short answer. No, that's okay. I love it. I'm like sitting on the edge of my seat taking notes. I'm like, wow, this is so good because 
there's just so much relief in that, that you don't have to stay stuck at that eight-year-old self. Because like you said, we grow and we can make new pathways in our brain. I love that idea of neuroplasticity. It's just amazing that our brains don't have to be set in their ways. And even though I know you talked about at the conference, how that prefrontal, it's done developing at what, 25? 25, yeah. And so there's still a little bit of hope for us on the other side of that. <laughs> but yeah, well, you mentioned the, the magic word, neuroplasticity, and that's the ability for our brain to flex. Neuroplasticity peaks at 25, but that doesn't mean mm. it's gone. That just means our brain is most flexible, the most flexible learner that it can be up to the age of 25. We still learn for the rest of our lives. But our learning speed, thinking speed, all those kind of start slowly going downhill as we age. It just takes us longer to learn. But the brain's rule applies forevermore. Use it or lose it. The more mm. you use your dendrites, the more long strings of neurons they grow. You just have to practice a little harder <laughs> as an adult. Yeah, but that's that's so good to know because I feel like something for me, and you even touched on this a little bit too in the beginning, this idea of shame and the emotions that are attached to all of this, it can feel so overwhelming or I can feel so defeated sometimes where I'm like, oh, will I never get through this? I just keep going back to this place when I feel triggered or when I feel insecure or whatever it may be. But when we start that rewiring process of whether it's affirmations or growing in awareness, like what, what does that whole process look like of even growing in awareness? Like, how do we start that process of rewiring? It's a, it's a great question because that's like the toughest part is to mm. being able to reflect in the moment and say, oh, my food button's pushed. What's going on? That takes practice. That takes a, a network of neurons. So I have this thing called my no, my K-N-O, my kind, uh, non-judgmental observer. So it's kind of like this energy that I have kind of over here in space that's able to look back and go, huh, Crystal, what's going on? What are you thinking? What's happening for you? Oh, you're getting really flooded with anxiety. You're mm. wanting to run and scream from the room. You want to yell and get angry. Ah, that's what's going on. That's okay. Your foo button's pushed. Now, can you take a deep breath? Put your feet flat on the floor, ground yourself. Okay, unpush the button, move back into your adult energy. Take care of the wounded kid, she's still in there, but engage in the behavior that is the best, most mature choice and the most relational choice that mm -hmm. is going to maintain the integrity of the relationship that I'm in with the person who's pushing my butt uh, like to the best that I possibly can. So mm. cultivating your no, your KNO takes practice, but the more you practice, the more networks you get and the more you'll be able to be quiet instead of emotionally or behaviorally react. Mm. I think from there, it's tough too, because like as a therapist, I give people these little homework challenges, you know, like, okay, I want you to tell your partner the truth about this. <gasps> oh, I want you to tell your boss what you want. <gasps> you know, all of these things that normally we go, 
no, because <laughs> we don't feel valuable or worthy. You're good enough. Or we're, you know, we feel like people need to be controlled or whatever our foo is, you know, connected to. Right. And then behaviorally practicing new behaviors that create new. That's hard as an adult because it's scary. We don't know if it's safe. Right. Yeah, that is that is so hard. It's so hard. And it's been so interesting for me too as a parent watching my son and kind of even reflecting on myself, like the way that I react to things or the way that he reacts to things. It's so fascinating, but I love that bit of self-reflection. I feel like that's so good because something else that you talk about is that idea of working with your emotions and something that I struggled with for so long was just shoving it down. And it really held me back because I stayed stuck in that place because I was never aware enough of what was going on or what was triggering me to actually work through those things. Like I love that analogy you used of the building. Like everything was cracked beneath the surface. I wasn't going anywhere. <laughs> no. Well, but you, you, know, you bring up another point. But okay, let me let me get another prop. Okay, real quick. So you, know, you talked about managing emotions and dealing with emotions. And so this is the one of the best tools. So if you can see this this uh, bowl. I love of, this. I know. Oh, kamochis. <laughs> I love this because kamochi is the Japanese word for feeling. And you can see they have little feeling faces. And then on the other side, they have the names. So it's always important to remember that feelings are not facts. Feelings are just energy. Mm. We have over 100 different emotions that we can feel. And every culture has different names and experiences of different emotions. It's amazing how we've developed these over our uh, lifespan. As our tribes get bigger and bigger and bigger, we have to distinguish more emotional states in order to thrive. Mm. But it's just energy. So to remember that feelings are not facts, right? They, they just tell us what we need or want in the world. So mm. they may tell us that we need to feel safe, right? But sometimes we get scared from just doing normal things that we've never done before because we've never done them. And it right. creates anxiety. Like anxiety is just low grade fear, but it's uncomfortable. So we don't want to be uncomfortable. So instead of just doing the thing and practicing growing new networks for effort and, do, and getting good at doing whatever that is, we withdraw, we avoid. We don't learn that skill, but then we also develop long strings of neuronal networks for avoiding mm. withdrawing. And that works against us. So being able to deal with emotions, I call it being emotionally literate. And this is a great way to teach kids, maybe and adults, about <laughs> how to like, you know, label the feeling in your body. And then being able to say, okay, what does this feeling say that I need right now? Do I, you know, does it say I need to crack a joke? Does it say I need to connect with someone? Does it say that uh, I need to try something new, even though I'm scared? What does it say that I need? Then when you're able to label your emotions and ask yourself, okay, what do I need to do? Then you can learn those skills. I have a, hmm. a client who bought a bowl like this and she puts them on her coffee or her dinner table. And when, when they have dinner, like they pass around the roast beef, they pass around the potatoes, they pass around the kamochis, everybody <laughs> takes one or two and they use this to share 
what feelings they had that day. What a great mm. way to teach this emotional literacy to your kids. Seriously. I mean, it's just so helpful. I mean, my son's only three, but I'm already thinking about, oh my goodness, especially because I just also read Atlas of the Heart by Brene Brown. And so I've just been thinking a lot about this. I'm like, wow. And you've even said this before. We're taught it's not good to feel. It's not okay to feel. It's not safe to feel. But that's the only way we can really work through things. Absolutely. My husband, when I first met him, he's like, you hurt my feeling. And I was like, singular feeling? He's like, yeah, I only have one. <laughs> but of course, it was like a good therapy joke since he was trying yeah. to me. But, but you're right. Like three years old is so what a great time to teach him how, where do you feel that feeling? Where is the feeling in your body? What feeling mm. is it? Now, what does that feeling tell you you need? Instead of like, what do you need? What is the feeling telling you that you need? Wow. Does it, you know, does it make, or do you need to be included? Oh, is that what it's telling you? Yes, because I feel left out. Like being able to teach him those skills. Can you imagine what kind of a communicator he'll be mm. when he's ready to get married? Wow. <laughs> I'm not thinking that far ahead, right? <laughs> Oh my gosh. Well, no, my, my copy of neuro whereabouts guide is like going to arrive any day now. And you better believe I'm going to be sitting down and taking so many notes, but I love this. And it's just so helpful, especially as a parent, because these are things I wasn't taught as a kid. I had no idea until, you know, recent years that these were issues that I was struggling with. And I did not know how to process through. And, and like you've mentioned, it put a wedge in my relationships. It always sent me back to those inner child moments, wounded child moments. And it has just changed my whole world to, to grow in awareness and learn to process these feelings. And especially as a parent, I'm so thankful for that awareness. So because this is like your magic realm of expertise, what would you say to the moms who are listening? What do we need to know? I mean, even for those who aren't moms, if we have kids in our world, what do we need to know about stewarding even their brain development? So I, I call it becoming a brain savvy parent, doing brain based parenting. So in in a in chapter one of the book, it's all about what healthy de brain development looks like, and it teaches you the skills that grow in those first two phases of brain development. So our brain from birth to twelve grows two hundred billion neurons, and it's that phase when we're growing really basic executive functioning skills, like, you know, our, our initiating tasks, organization, working memory, self-monitoring, the mm. ability to flexible, uh, flexibly think, switch from one to the other. So what you can do is you learn the names of those and then reward them with brain-based praise. Like, oh my God, you took out the trash for me today. I didn't even have to ask you. You're rewarding task initiation. It's so much more powerful to use a praise targeting what you want to reward and increase than saying, God, I just wish you'd take out the trash. How many times do I have to ask you? Mm -hmm. That is going to create an avoidance, like, whatever, mom, scenario. But if yeah. you and say, dude, it makes me so happy when you do that and I don't have to ask you, they're much more likely to do it again, <laughs> right? And yes. To the second phase of brain development around puberty that kicks in the second really cool phase where we lose cells. We lose 50% of our brain cells, but we grow connectors. We also grow mm. myelin, which actually makes us think faster. 
And so what we do then as a parent is learn the executive functioning skills that are growing in phase two. Those are really important skills that we need to be a healthy adult. And those are like um, abstract understanding, impulse Mm. control, empathy, problem solving, decision making, judgment, emotion regulation, frustration tolerance. Then we can use brain-based praise for those, saying things like, I'm having a tough day, kid. Can you give me a little bit more empathy? Or, oh, I really like how you solved that problem. How did you do that? Good judgment. Tell me what you were thinking. Right? Like these are really cool ways of using brain-based praise to increase executive functioning skills. Mm. Now on the flip side, like that's what you can do. But what you can also do is prevent risky behavior by creating a family code. Mm, A family code is yes, okay, good. Family code is a really short description of the values and beliefs that you have in your family that set the table, so to speak, for you to share your expectations about how to protect their brain. Hmm. So an example is in the Collier family, we treat others with kindness, compassion, and respect on and offline. We protect our brain while it's developing and we don't use drugs ever. We only use alcohol when we're 21 or over. Short and sweet. You put that on the wall after you've created it together as a family. And the best time to do that is about six or seven. So it depends upon, you know, your child's uh, development. But if they're ready to create that, I have in the book in chapter six, there's a family code activity, one pager that is to teach you how to do it. We actually were doing it at churches here in town and at schools, elementary schools. It's a really fun activity that you can Mm. do in a group too to create your family code. Then what you can do is at, your family meals, you could use the conversation starter calendar to bring up different topics about high-risk behavior. Because a lot of times our parents are like, oh, how do I talk about that? Right. Yeah. When you realize, ooh, okay, the elementary school chapter says I have to talk about suicide when they're in elementary school. Oh my God, what do I say? Well, I've put a developmentally appropriate script. Of course, you decide when you think it's appropriate for your child. Some kids are already learning about it way sooner than you realize. So you always want to be the bearer of this information first and empower your kid. Many parents are like, oh, but they're so innocent. Well, that is going to change eventually. You're like, do you want it to change because you have tailored that and empowered them? Or do you want them to get scared when they hear the information about a middle schooler committing suicide? Mm. You know, like this is uh, empowering you to empower your child. And then yes. at the family dinner, you can bring it up and say, wow, have you heard about uh, today's National Suicide Awareness Day? Have you heard about anybody talking at school about this? And if you just use a little duct tape therapy and listen, <laughs> they will say, oh yeah, I heard this kid and that kid. And then you can say, well, in our family, we care about our brain development. So if we have mental health issues, we're going to talk about it. Mm. Done. And then next month, hey, did you guys know it's National Eating Disorders Week? Oh, what? What's an eating disorder? Oh, your teenager will tell you what that is. You know, your middle schooler may say, oh, yeah, so-and-so has that. And, you know, they'll talk about it. And then you can reward their their, uh, initiation, their problem solving. How would you handle that? Tell me more about that. You can use these skills. And then Mm -hmm. you can rely on that code. Hey, 
in our family, this is what we do. This is what we don't do. If you just do that once every month, once every other month, consistently over time, you will reinforce those executive functioning skills and instill really good prevention science principles into your kiddos. Mm, that is so good. I love that idea of just making it a, like a culture for your family because it gives you such an anchor. Like when they do have things to talk about or things come up in conversations, gosh, like that was me growing up. I was like, I feel so uncomfortable talking about this with my parents, but how do we have these conversations? And you're so right. Like we have the opportunity to be the ones to explain and educate our children yes. and help them empower them. I love that. Totally. And Hannah, what you just said, everybody goes to that. Who wants to ever talk about this stuff with their parents? No one <laughs> ever but, you know, like my mother even said to me once, like, you never wanted to talk about sex. I'm like, do I, does any kid ever with their parents? <laughs> like, no. But right. I think it's important to use, in the book, I talk about the functional family rule. In our family, we talk, we trust, we deal, we feel. Mm. A lot of families follow the dysfunctional family rule. Oh, we don't talk. We don't trust. We don't deal. We don't feel. No, don't feel that. In this way, you're teaching emotion right? Uh, 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 not just management, but you're teaching emotional literacy. You talk mm. about those things. And then when you have, when, when the book says, okay, it's time to have that conversation and you sit down and your kid's like, uh-uh, la, 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 la. You say, too bad, kid. In our family, we talk, we deal. So I need 10 minutes. And look, I got a book that has great pictures. You know? <laughs> yeah. I love that. Well, I love that you've just broken it down for parents even. And you've taken the weird, like, I know for me, when I found out that we were pregnant with my son, I was like, oh man, we're going to have to start thinking about how we're going to talk about this and when we're going to teach this and what age this is appropriate. And I love that you've not only broken it down by what's age appropriate, but also tying it back to where they're at in their development is so brilliant and so helpful for me. Like thinking through how I can best empower my son. I love that language. And so I, gosh, as a parent, I am so thankful for that. <laughs> Well, before we go, is there anything that you would want to say to a woman who might be stuck in some thought patterns right now or just not really sure how to get out of that rut? Oh, gosh, yes. I, I You know, there's so many things I would love to be able to say to women. When I think about going back into my own wounded little girl, her space, I, I you know, what I would want to say to her is you are really good enough just the way you are. The world taught you differently. And now you get to learn the truth, really embrace mm. that. At, you know, being pretty is not the price of admission into the world. You uh, are already perfect just the way you are. To learn how to grow your self-worth and value is a pursuit worth engaging in because mm -hmm. so many of what of the things that we've seen in the world happen even in this just past decade is women starting to really say hold on a second i have a voice it needs to be heard it's okay to set boundaries because what's inside my hula hoop my boundary is worthwhile i don't have to be to put up with being treated in a way that doesn't really honor and respect my value and worth. So I don't have to. Now that's also easier said than done, but if you mm -hmm. practice that, you will grow skills 
for feeling really valuable and then being able to honor that and set up your life so that it reflects that. Oh, that's so good. Wow. I honestly could just sit here and talk to you all day. I absolutely love what you do. And I'm just so thankful for your time. Thank you for what you're doing to help and equip so many women and their kids. It's just so amazing. So where can everybody find you, find your book and learn more? Sure. So my my website is uh, drcrystalcollier.com. My book's website is the neuro, it's actually neurowhereaboutsguide.com. But you can also find copies of the book on uh, Amazon in English and in Spanish. I also uh, have it on Audible and it's also in ebook. And then uh, please watch out because I've got a new book on food mapping coming out, which will be a workbook that will be an eight week process for you to map your family of origin button and uh, really create new networks for the patterns that will serve you much better. Wow. I cannot wait for that. Well, you guys definitely need to go order your copy of the Neuro Whereabouts Guide. Like I said, mine's going to arrive any day now and I cannot wait. But Dr. Collier, thank you so, so much for your time. I really appreciate you being here and sharing with us. And really right back at you, Hannah, because I really admire your work and uh, and, and you're just a, a kick-ass mom. Keep it up. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to tune into another episode of the ByWord Show. I love having you here and I'm so thankful for your support. Don't forget to share a screenshot of this episode to let me know you were here. I can't wait to talk again soon, but in the meantime, be sure to come hang out with me on Instagram and remember, I am cheering you on.